This podcast is made possible by The Social Voice Project. I'm Kevin Farkas, founder and executive producer. Stick around to the end of the podcast to learn more about The Social Voice Project, an innovative public interest media company specializing in podcasting, oral histories, and live event recording. You are listening to Tony Lavorna's Legends and Lore podcast. Tony Lavorna's Legends and Lore podcast explores the history and tales of ghost stories, mysterious crimes, murders, UFOs, witchcraft, and other occult happenings still thriving in the greater Ohio Valley region of Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio, and beyond. on your way home for the evening. You reach your front door. You open the door and find your loved one and a wonderful meal that has been set out for you. You and your soulmate sit down at the table, eat and finish. You both race for the couch. Finally, you get settled in, holding one another. When inexplicably, the lights, for no reason, begin to flicker. You slowly put down your drink you both start to hear a cry, a voice emanating from the basement. You get up, you run to the door, and begin to go down the staircase. The problem is there is someone crying, but no one is there. Sounds like you may have a real problem. You're probably going to need someone who deals with the paranormal. On today's episode, we have with us the Ohio Paranormal Investigation Team from East Liverpool, Ohio. Now, paranormal investigating has grown in recent years. You've seen it on TV and shows. You've heard about it on podcasts. There are over 284 recorded paranormal teams in Pennsylvania, another 235 in the state of Ohio, and 65 teams in West Virginia. Today joining me will be team leader Melissa Rhodes-Hornback, Michelle Price, and Claudia Askin. Ladies, welcome to the episode today. How are you? We're good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Melissa, how long have your team been operating in, I, I understand, both Ohio and Pennsylvania. Is that correct? Right. Actually, we've been Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Kentucky, and we've been doing it about 10 years. No, wait, 11 years. 11 years in May. And how many cases have you been out on, roughly? I'd say at least 40. And out of these cases that you've been on, what are some of your favorites? Actually, even though we've done a large number of cases. In most cases, you don't really get a lot of activity. In a large number of cases, it's not even really a haunting. So out of the 40, we've probably only had like a handful that I would actually say was haunted and they did have a problem. We just did one in Kenton, Ohio, just a couple weeks ago. The gentleman called and he believed that he had a demon in his house. He said that his grandson 
had made a homemade Ouija board. And from the time that he made that, even though the grandson said that they didn't get any response, the people in the family started seeing shadows and um, the daughter got scratched on the back of her neck. They tried to get voice recordings and the voice recordings came out kind of scary. They were they were threatening. The guy was really scared. He, he left in the middle of the night, took the family and left. And um, they were actually staying in a hotel when we went to do the investigation. And you were using um, a voice modulator or EVP? What type of devices were you using? We first set up with um, the video cameras, and then we started out with the um, voice recordings and the... We used the voice recorders, and we used the EMF detectors. Yeah, that's, that's what I was, yeah. And we used the, the ovulus. The ovulus. Now, can you explain for some of our listeners what the ovulus and, and some of the other equipment does? The ovulus is, is a little device. They can, the spirit can use that to speak through. They can take the words out of it. It's like a dictionary. You, there's two modes. There's dictionary and there's phonics. And you don't have to ask them a question. You can just let them try to come through on their own. Um, you tell them they can use that, and they do use it. Now, they can also use these devices by somehow illuminating them as well. I mean, do they have like an LED light or, or, or some type of other illumination, or is this just strictly voice activated? Well, the Ovilus, actually, the one we have, it has the voice activated, it has a um, dictionary mode and the phonetics mode. The dictionary is already loaded with words. With the phonetics mode, they can create their own word in case it's something there that they wanted to say that they couldn't find in the dictionary. Mm -hmm. But it also has a touch mode and a white noise mode reverse phonetics mode well so these are pretty uh, pretty sophisticated pieces of machinery uh, for oh, yes. detection purposes yes now michelle were you there as well what was uh, i was i was i did live feed to our opit page and uh the creepiest thing that happened to me i walked through the kitchen with live feed and i had to go past the one room where we had a lot of activity to go into the bathroom to film and as i was walking past this door I, the door swung open and hit me, and I turned around because I thought somebody had followed me, and I was going to say, hey, you just hit me with that door, but there was nobody there. And the door was only on one hinge, so it was, like, lopsided, and you had to pick it up to actually move it. So to for somebody for to just swing open as I walk by, that's kind of a little difficult process for it to happen. So, But there was nobody there. It was a greeting she wasn't expecting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> also true. at the Kenton house, we um both experienced somewhat the same thing. She felt a heavy breath on the back of her neck and um while i was in there trying to get voice recordings i heard a how in my ear and my voice recorder actually picked that up too because well, when i heard it i was like i just heard something go how in my ear but um when i played it back later it picked up the first toe and then me saying that i heard that also i have that with me if you want to hear it oh what about the hello when i walked into that room with the evp um, somebody's oh, phone, somebody, yeah. my phone was your ringing. phone rang and I heard her walk across the thing and before she picked it up somebody's beside me it, it picked it up said hello because I went hello and then she said hello <laughs> to whoever's on the phone and I, that was that was pretty creepy yeah we had that on talk yeah. about your long distance call yeah. <laughs> right I actually ended up having to buy a new phone because my phone kept going through power surges it would just shut itself off and then restart again and all through our voice recordings that night you can hear my phone doing that startup noise ding 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 <laughs> he was acting up an hour ago waiting on us like I asked him to oh I just heard ho I just heard it go ho 
of like, oh. And like, kind of like, whoa. That's the end of it there. Did you hear it? Wanna try this next one? It's only a few seconds long. Okay, this one is where um, I asked the spirit if it knew Leonard and his family. Leonard was the name of the client. And um, it takes about two or three seconds, but then it says the name of his daughter. Right before it says his name, and then right after that, I say her name also. So so you'll know where it's at on the thing when I play it. Hello. Who's here with us? Do you know Leonard and his family? Do you know Heather? And that's the end of that one. But right before I said it, it says Heather. The coolest one we have is from Moundsville, though. Yeah, that's the one I want him to hear. So, ladies, tell me about the Moundsville case that you were working on. We went to Moundsville, and we did the tour. And we picked up so many recordings during that day tour that it was automatically mandatory that the team had to go and do an overnight investigation. We just insisted on it after getting that much activity in the daytime or that type of activity and so much of it. We were just absolutely certain a night trip was going to be awesome. Because there was only three of you and the person doing the tour. That's it. There was nobody else around. Right. Just you four. Right. Yeah, because we got there at the very end of the day, so we were the only ones on that particular tour that time, which made it even more awesome because it was kind of like a personal tour. But um, it was towards the end of the tour. We were um, coming back to the main entrance room, and we picked up the sound of a harmonica playing. And it is so clear. It's even louder than we are. So it's like the spirit walked right up to the voice recorder and played this harmonica for us. It was just absolutely amazing. I first heard it, I got chills. <laughs> I'm like, what? Play it again. <laughs> How cool is that? So we have a talented apparition. And it said your name a few times. It, yeah, it did say my name a few times. And the um, guy, when he was telling, giving a tour, was telling us about one of the inmates that had smuggled in a gun, um, another inmate had ratted him out, so they sent him up to the infirmary to get the gun removed, and you can imagine where the gun was at the time. And while he was telling this story, he was telling it in a humorous kind of light, and we got very clearly on the voice recording and said, what do you want from me? So um, when we played back and listened to those recordings, it was, it was a little bit intimidating at first, one of the girls from the team decided not to go with us for the overnight stay. and But I just couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. And that's when I rounded up Claudia. That's when you came on board, wasn't it? No, it was a few months after. It was a few months after? Yeah, because I came on, it was early like February. And we went in August. Yeah, Claudia's been my friend for 30 years. And I just found out a few years ago that she's as into the paranormal as I am. So I invited her along on that investigation. It was so, so super stoked. And it was one of those times, like I told you, sometimes you get there and nothing happens. When we went for the all-night investigation, we couldn't get it to make a peep. We couldn't get any voice recordings. Our cameras just kept dying. Everything just kept dying, which made it harder. Like, we were completely drained of everything. Our, our batteries, you know what I mean? It just kept draining our batteries on the camera. Or we would get completely black photos. Now, why is that, that the power sources are often drained on electronic devices such as the cell phones or other sundry electronic devices? Why is that? The spirits like to draw from them. They draw the energy from those, and that's how they can 
that's how they get the energy to be able to manifest or manifest. move something or, or materialize speak. before someone by or touch drawing you. on this energy. Mm -hmm. Very interesting, very interesting. But we were learned one thing that night because we were taking a lot of photographs and they just kept coming out black. And, you know, when you're using a disc, you know, I was taking a picture and I'd see it and it come out black, I just delete it. I must have deleted probably 20 black photos that night. But after I got home the next day and started going over my photos and put them on my computer, a lot of those black photos that, well, a few of them that I had left, when I'd take them in to edit them, enlighten them, we were able to see what was in there. And we did get one really good shadow picture figure from a totally black photo. And we also got another really good photo of a shadow figure, but it was like at the time I saw it when we got it. You know what I mean? It, it wasn't something I had to pull out of hiding like the black photos. Was that the one where um, it shows that black shadow behind the piping? Yeah. Or the one like um, right going into the um, a little to the hole. hole. Yeah. Yes, yes. That's on OPIT. You can see that. Yeah. Now, the ladies also have a site, a Facebook page as well. Uh, to date, I understand you have roughly some 714 members uh, that often view the site. There are many articles on there as well as uh, information of some of the cases that the OPIT have been on uh, over the last decade. Uh, ladies, tell me a little bit about the activity and the hauntings of the legend of Gretchen's Lock. I know that's an Ohio thing. Mm -hmm. That's our thing. And I know that's it's our thing. one that's of our your stomping most, grounds. That's your stomping grounds yeah. and probably one of your most famous cases. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the legend that's associated with it and then uh, the time that you all spent there? In the 1830s, there was a canal system that was being built through there. And the engineer of the canal was actually Gretchen's father. Gretchen, her father, and her mother had came in from Ireland to do this, this canal job. The mother passed away on the boat on the way in, and it was said that she was buried at sea. So then dad gets here with Gretchen, and he's doing his work on the canal, and Gretchen contracted malaria. I believe she was 12 years old and she passed away. Well, her father, having every intention of going back to Ireland when he was done with the job, had Gretchen entombed in one of the locks that he was building at the time. It's now called Gretchen's Lock. And then whenever he was ready to go back home, they removed her body, put her on a boat, and they headed off to Ireland and got caught in a storm, and the boat went down and everybody was lost. So they exhumed the body of the little girl from the lock itself, and upon their travels back to Europe, the boat itself sank. With all of them, they all perished. Is that correct? Right. That's how the story goes. And then there's Esther Hale. Those two stories are often combined, confused, and just totally misconstrued because they happen so close together. What Melissa is referring to there is a story that was written in a book by Mr. Chris Woodyard. He authored a book entitled Esther Hale, the bride at the bridge. Go ahead, Melissa. So, um, yeah, Esther was, she was engaged to be married. The most common story I hear is that her fiance was killed during the Civil War. But that would put the timing later than the 1830s. So I'm not sure how that goes. But either way, he didn't show up for the wedding and she was 
devastated, completely devastated. She was said to have gone home and literally starved herself to death. And then on the other tales, because you get two totally different stories. The one is that she starved herself to death and her friends went to her house and found her sitting at the table and her wedding dress still um, passed away. And the other story is that she hung herself at the grist mill on Sprucevale Road. It's called Hamilton's Mill. And that's where her ghost is seen all the time. So I'm a little more inclined to believe that flip side of the story. And speaking earlier, you once relayed to me a story of an incident that happened to you while you were there at Gretchen's Lock with uh, Helen, uh, one of the other members, I believe, of the team. Yes, Helen Davis. Why don't you Davis. tell the listeners, yes, Helen Davis, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about uh, your experience there and what had happened? Okay, because that was a totally cool night. It was November 11th. It was actually a very, fairly warm night. So Helen called me, is like, you want to go to the mill? See if we can talk to the ghosties is what we always said for, you know, that was our code name, talk to the ghosties. And so I was like, sure. And we went. When we got there, we just kind of sat outside the car for a while. We usually do just kind of sit there and talk and take in, you know, the environment. And it seemed pretty quiet. It seemed like, you know, like we were accepted. We were allowed to come in. So we headed off to the side of the building and my EMF detector started going crazy right off the bat. It, it was going clear. It, I had one of the ones that had a like gauge measure, you know what I mean? It went from zero to 10 on a little needle and it shot straight to the top and it was just beeping red and then it would completely stop and then it would go straight to the top again. And it did it like that about five times before we even got around to the back door. I was thinking that there was something wrong with it. I, I remember telling Helen, I'm going to have to get a new one. There's something wrong with this. I don't, I don't know what it is. So we get to the back door and it almost looks like a jail because there's steel rods to try to keep people from going in and messing with stuff. Well, somebody had stuck a tree trunk between two and tried to pry it to open it up to where a bigger person could get through. And apparently they didn't do a very good job because it was still stuck there. So there's Helen and I, and she's smaller than me with this tree trunk. And we're trying to get this out of the bar, just out of respect for the building alone, you know, because that was just, you don't just leave stuff like that. And we were pulling and it was, it was pretty good stuck. We were just about to give up. I was like shaking my head and all of a sudden it just gave. It just gave like, it was pushed from the other end. And Helen and I both went flying, the stump went flying, Helen went flying, I landed on top of her. So we get up, we get orientated and I had a laser grid where it puts the little green dots all over the room. And then if anything moves in front of it, you can see a break in the lines and the dots and it's a good way, a good indication if there's activity going on. So we started out with that and we got, we, we seen shadow figures right off the bat. Two of them coming in the side windows. Now, for those of you who are listening who are not familiar or in the know, a shadow figure, ladies and gentlemen, is just simply that, a form that looks like a black mass, a shadow, somewhat of a human form, but again, just a simple black mass. Right. And we saw those coming right in through the side window. And we got some pictures and we tried to get some recordings. We weren't getting any recordings, which really was surprising for us because it just felt like such high energy and voice recordings is our number one evidence thing. You know, that's what we get the most often is voice recordings. So we were a little taken about that and, you know, kind of second guessing our natural gut feeling that something was going on. Well, then we had to go to the restroom as you sometimes do when you're out doing things for hours, which is on the other side of the park. 
So we went over there, and while we were gone, some people came to the mill. So we just stayed where we were and, and did some investigating over there and waited for these people to leave. After they left, we were kind of bored where we were at. Actually, we were planning to go ahead and go home. And we headed out, and we got to the main road where the, the mo- road where the mill's on. And just as we got to the corner, I, just out of a whim, I said, Helen, go ahead and pull over by the mill one more time. Let's see if we can get some recordings. So she did. As we were pulling in right beside the mill, I'm looking at it, and I saw another black figure go into the window. But it was on the second story this time, where earlier Helen and I had been on the first floor. So she's driving past it as I see that, so I tell her, stop. I'm like, back up, I just saw something to that window. So she's backing up, and it was just so close that she was actually backed up, and we were looking at the window before I was even done with my sentence. We were sitting there looking at the window, and the girl stuck her head out of the window and just, like, like if I was to go stick my head out of the window, our car would have been off to her right, but she just stared straight ahead for, I don't even know how long, maybe 10, 15 seconds. It could have even been longer because I was actually quite shocked to see her. Then she just slowly turned her head and looked at me and Helen right in the face, and I was about 15 feet from the road to the window. So I'm looking at her pretty good, and she is every bit as creepy, scary as you see in a ghost movie. Her skin was ghostly grayish, pale. She had long, stringy, dark hair and really dark eyes. And when she looked at Helen and I, it was a look to say, I don't want to see you here today. And we took off. Now, it is my understanding that the legend goes something like this, too. If you see this apparition appear before you and she's pretty or beautiful then you're all right. Then you're safe. But if she appears to you, let's say, as an older ghost or apparition who's kind of disfigured, you're in big trouble. Right. They say if if you see her and she's haggardly, that you will very soon be dead and she will steal your beauty. And I got to (laughs) say, I was thinking about that story as I tried to doze off to sleep that night, <laughs> and sleep didn't come none too soon. I was going to say, that doesn't tell bode that well too. for you. <laughs> no, no. When she looked, I mean, because it was like eye to eye, and and I can't, I can't even say that she had eyes. It was just so dark, just dark. Darkness Just around. darkness where her eyes were supposed to be, and, and my heart just stopped. And I looked at Helen, and now I know what people mean when they say she looked like she saw a ghost. Because she looked like she saw a ghost. She was almost as pale as the ghost was. And I said, let's just go. And so she was driving. So she shot up over the hill. And we got probably about 30, 40 feet away from the mill. And I looked at her. I said, please tell me you saw what I saw. And she got closer to my face. She said, you mean that face in the window? That's what I saw. And I knew, you know, without saying out loud what I had saw and let her tell me, that was the best way to confirm it. But yeah, it was so weird, Tony. It was like... As I was sitting here staring at that ghost, it was like a dream state. I didn't even feel like I was in reality. It was so amazing. It was amazing. Well, ladies, thank you so much today for being here and uh, being on the podcast. Uh, for our listeners who are interested, please visit the page. Um, Michelle, why don't you give them the page there, the, the Facebook page, your address, your the Ohio Paranormal. Yes, OPIT, OP. IT, Ohio Paranormal Investigation. It's a public group. Just look us up on Facebook. They have some over 714 members today, folks. Give the ladies a look up on the Facebook page. And thank you so much for listening. This has been Tony Lavorna's Legend and Lore. You 
are listening to a production of the Social Voice Project. If you like what you've heard, be sure to like, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast app. Marcus here again. You've just heard a podcast produced by the Social Voice Project. We specialize in podcasting and other creative media partnerships with community-oriented organizations and individuals. We are dedicated to promoting a wide range of nonprofits, community and cultural projects, public history initiatives, the performing arts, and tourism. To learn more about us, visit thesocialvoiceproject.org. On today's episode, we have with us the Ohio Paranormal Investigation Team. Wait, let me stop you. Did Have you started? Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was going good. You want to kick it? Oh, by the way, that microphone right there, that's the same microphone Michael Jackson recorded Thriller on. Seriously? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the microphone that, these other two microphones, these are the microphones that have been on the presidential podium for the last 50 years. Yeah. It's a little trivia for you. Okay. So speak with confidence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we all good? We sound good? Sound good from here. Okay. Good. Yeah, we all sound good. Yay. Good job, Gabe. Good job. I still want to talk. <laughs> I know.